You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. This morning's passage comes from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 14, in the NIV version. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. You may be seated. So, as I said, uh, Keith gave me a holler yesterday and said, hey, can you, to, can you preach for me today? And I said, yeah, we can make that, I'll make something up and talk for a while until the time is up. And so, uh, planning on doing that, we, we, because it's uh, short notice, we don't, I don't have any slides, I've got one slide with the scripture. Um, if you really need slides, raise your hand and the, the uh, ushers will bring you some paper and crayons, and you can draw <laughs> what you need to see. Um, but we have nothing formal prepared for you today. Um, so years ago, I worked with an individual who, uh, during the interview process, convinced the boss that um, they knew how to, they were above average with a couple computer programs we used. And so we hired this person and discovered in short order that this person really didn't have much of a clue on how to use these programs. And that was particularly frustrating to the rest of us, and me in particular, because we had to make up for what this person was unable to accomplish, but we expected them to, and me in particular, because I, I worked with them the most. Um, and I, and I bet you guys have experienced something like that before. Maybe you've even done something like that before, right? There's kind of a front there, and an image comes forth. But after an amount of time, and sometimes it's quicker, and sometimes it's longer, the truth comes out. And eventually, you learn the truth about them, or they learn the truth about you. And, and that happens in church, too, right? I know it's... Just hard to believe that that does because we are all so honest and transparent and open with one another. But I mean, you know how it is. You can walk in the door of the building or another room and somebody says, Hi, how are you? And your life could be going down the toilet because your spouse is leaving you or your kids are acting out or there's some health issues or, or there's some sin going on that you're struggling with and it's just about to take you down and life is terrible. But it doesn't matter because when somebody sees you and said, hey, at church, coming in the church door, right? And says, hi, hey, how are you this morning? How do we respond? Fine, how are you? I'm great. I hope you're doing good too. And we smile and we just go on. But if we could watch those people, or if perhaps they could watch us for a few days, we would discover pretty quickly that something is off, and there's kind of a front there. But there's a flip side to that, too. And I think we know people like this, and hopefully either we are or we're becoming people like this, who, for whom life can be terrible. And the struggles abound, and the pain is deep and constant. And, and, and we wonder, those people wonder, how can I continue with all this? Why is this happening? But when we look at their lives, there's something in the midst of that. There's something underneath all of that. When you watch them, that even 
in spite of or despite all the terrible stuff, <coughs> there is something about their lives when you look at them that convinces you, particularly when we talk about faith and following Christ, that they are the real deal. They're not perfect. They mess up. But, but something, they're real. They're legit. We, we, we believe them. Well, this morning I want to take a look at, a, at just one short verse in Romans. And Irena read it to us. Um, we're going to have it on the screen. Yeah, I mean, you can practically memorize it before you leave. It's in Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 14. At this point, Paul is winding up his letter. He's written this amazing theological discourse. And it's deep and it's wide and it's profound. And he's coming to the end and signing off. And, and he, he says these three things, or this short verse, and out of all the things he could have said to his brothers and sisters in Rome, this is how he draws it together. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You are filled with knowledge, and so you are competent to instruct one another. And I just think that's an interesting summary of his thoughts and feelings towards them. And he says, I'm convinced. I mean, I have no doubt. I have heard the stories about you. And I know some of you, and I've been in relationship with some of you. And when I see everything you've gone through, and how you live your lives in the midst of a pagan world, I am convinced your lives display clearly to me, without a doubt, that you follow Jesus. And isn't that a cool thing for somebody to say about us? Wouldn't that be great? To say, despite everything that goes on, when I look at your life, I am convinced that you are the real deal. And he says, here's why I believe this. Because you are filled with goodness. Which raises the question, <laughs> what are you full of? Baloney? <laughs> or... Something else, I don't know. We're all full of something. But he says, you are filled with goodness. It means that they have an uprightness of heart and of life. It's, it's positive, right? It's, a, it's an adjective you want connected to your life. Um, goodness is, one of the fr- is part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't know what that is, go to Galatians chapter 5. And Paul wrote that letter as well. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, there's no law against that. And otherwise, man display this all the time. There's no reason to hold it back. And when he looks at their lives here, he says, I see that your lives are filled with goodness. It's a character trait, right? It's an adjective. And when you think of goodness... I mean, there's this vague general good, but we really don't know what that life is like because good, we start to look at how somebody lives. 
And we see what their life is like. Because goodness, in, is, to start with, is an abstract con, uh, concept. But when we apply it to how we live, it becomes concrete. Because So I say, well, so-and-so is a good guy. So-and-so is a good lady. Well, okay, but why? Why are they good? I need, to, I need to understand why they're good. And we say, well, he's a good husband. Oh, okay. Oh, she is a, a good mom. All right, now I understand why they're good. And we have that sense of what's bad too, right? Because nobody wants to be a bad husband or a, a bad parent. They're a good Christian. Oh, okay. We kind of have a sense of what's a, a good Christian and what's a bad man. It's a positive thing that, that I want associated with me. It describes who we are and, and it's a big and, it's illustrated by what we do. So it's a being and a doing kind of thing. There's a, a passage in Ephesians that most of you are probably familiar with, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, and he says this, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, right? We've heard that. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, right? Salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. And he says that, not by works, so that no one could boast. And here's the key one that connects with us. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to what? To do good works, which God has prepared for us in advance to do. You see, Jesus didn't die to save us so that we can come sit in a chair for an hour every morning and listen to some guy talk at us for about half of that time, right? I mean, we're not here just for the ride. We're here because Jesus has prepared good works because there's enough bad works going on out there, right? And it's easy to get sucked into that. But he's prepared good works for us to do. Same thing as Paul hints at in this Roman passage. He says, I am convinced of your faith because you are full of goodness. I've seen your lives. I've heard the stories. You are the real deal. I wonder what it would look like in our lives to be filled with goodness. I wonder what it would look like if every morning when we wake up, when we wake up, before we put our feet on the floor, you know, before we reach for our glasses or grab our phones to see what's going on out in the world, if we just pause for a moment and said, okay, Lord, you have created me and called me for good works. What's on the schedule for today? What good work do you have laid out for me to do? And it might not be anything earth-shattering, you know, history-changing. It might be just the way you treat your kids the rest of the day or your spouse, or your boss, or your workers, whoever, because I think mostly it's about relationship. So how, how are you doing with that in your relationships with whoever's around? Is there a relationship that you need to work on? It's kind of falling apart. Where is God at work in your life? Because God works in our lives. That's part of those good works he's laid out for us. I mean, you've heard that joke, right? There's two seasons, and, and it's elsewhere too, seasons, two seasons in Wyoming, uh, winter and construction, right? And sometimes construction goes through the winter. And, and we get, oh, especially when it's on our way to work, do we have to go through it every single day? And it delays us, and 
frustrates us and we don't like it and we wish it would get over and we're just nah about it. But you know what the thing about uh, construction is? As much of a pain as it is at the time, the point of the construction is to make it better when it's all done. And so when we think about God calling us to do good works, good works, that's hard work. And it works on us. It's not like we're untouched and we're messing with other people somehow. God works on us in the midst of us. And so part of that question maybe again in the morning before we you know, grab our phone or get our coffee or whatever it is, is, Lord, where are you at work? Where are you calling me to be at work? So that I can participate with you and be part of that and contribute, not resist or just be ignorant of it. What would it look like in our lives if we set out to be filled with goodness. And Paul says, I'm convinced because you are full of knowledge. How many of you are full of knowledge? Yeah, oh, there's everyone. I see, I see that hand. All right. Very, very humble guy, too, over there. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we all have room to grow and to learn. Uh, but I don't think what Paul's talking about here really is all this a bunch of intellectual Bible knowledge. I mean, that's good. I'm not knocking it. But I read once that said the teaching you get at church on Sunday is not the main course, or at least it's not supposed to be. It's really just the frosting on the cake. Because for you to sit here for 30-ish, whatever minutes, however many times a month or a year you show up here, that, that, that's good, but it's, it's not enough. One of my mantras throughout my life as a Christian has been, if the only spiritual nourishment you get is on Sunday morning at church, you are starving to death. You are unhealthy and malnourished. You need it, it's good, but it's not enough. Because I don't care how good Keith preaches or how good I preach or how good your favorite preacher, if it shouldn't be some other favorite preacher, right? Okay, just checking. But I don't care how good any preacher preaches. That's not enough. If you want to be a healthy, effective, convincing follower of Jesus, you need more. You need to be filled with knowledge, and Sunday isn't enough because it's too generic. And so, what's your plan for getting fuller of knowledge? So that, and this, we'll get to it, but so that you are competent to instruct one another. One of, the, one of the best ways, I think, because it's just changed my life, I am a satisfied customer, is life groups. Because in life groups, there's a dynamic goes on. There's a relationship. In our life groups, there's not a teacher who sits and instructs the rest of the group. That isn't how it works. Because we do life together. So be part of one of those. Because it's a great way to share knowledge that you don't have and others don't have, but you have what they don't have. And you fill each other. There's all kinds of books you can read and seminars you can attend and go online. And man, it's just more than you could ever need or want. But what's your plan? Are you, do you have a plan of some kind, of any kind, to get fuller in knowledge? Or are you just kind of riding along and letting life happen to you? 
One thing to realize about being full of knowledge, the, the goal is not to gain tons of knowledge so that you can win at Bible trivia, okay? That's fun and everybody cheers, but that isn't the point. The point of gaining knowledge is so you can take that knowledge and apply it to your lives. Because otherwise it's worthless. You've wasted your time gaining it. You got to say, what am I going to do with what I've learned? How is it going to affect the way I raise my kids or I relate with my spouse? Or how does that affect the way I'm a boss or a worker or a neighbor or whatever? Because it's about relationship, not just facts and figures, whatever it might be. How are you going to apply that knowledge? That's, as we get fuller with knowledge, that, may, that can make us gooder, filled with goodness. And so he says, you convinced me because you're full of God, goodness, um, you're filled with knowledge, and you are competent to instruct one another. That can be challenging for some of us because some of us, when we think of instructing one another, it's, well, I can't. I don't know my Bible. I can't get up in front of people and teach them stuff. Everybody knows more than me. Well, I don't think that's what this really is. I don't think it's a, a push towards saying you need to teach a Sunday school class or a small group or whatever it is. That might be part of it for some of us. But there's more to imparting or being competent to instruct one another than just sharing a bunch of information. Some of the Bible translations use the word admonish instead of instruct. And for me, that helps, frankly, because it says you're competent to admonish one another. He says you are competent to help guide and advise one another. And that changes the whole perspective. I don't have to be a teacher, but I can guide and advise other people because I love it personally, when somebody who's got some maturity and has got some intelligence and has got some experience is willing, is willing to advise me a little bit. Because, you know, I may be smart, but I can be smarter and better if I listen to someone else instruct me, because they've got experience and knowledge. Because this, this, this instructing one another, again, it's relational. It's sharing life, not just teaching a lesson. I think about it with kids. I remember, I mean, my girls are grown. They're out of the house. Grandkids are showing up. Uh, we love that part of it. But when they were little, I didn't, well, once in a while I lectured them. But most of the time to teach them, you know, we said, well, come on, help me make the bed. And we'd do it with them and we'd show them how. And I remember teaching one of my girls how to pound nails. And she's watching me and says, okay, dad, let me take the hammer and try. And, you know, she falls over backwards with it and, it, and it's fun. But, but that's how we impart or take that knowledge and instruct one another by being in relationships. And one of the important parts of that is being able, and, and this is hard, I, I mean, it is. These Romans because part of this is allowing others to speak into your life uninvited. Is that the right word? I guess. Unasked. I mean, think about that for a second. Allowing, allowing inviting almost, others to speak into your life without 
asking them. I have a bookkeeping business, and sometimes I go to my clients and I say, you know, how are you doing? Uh, how am I doing? Am I, am I giving you the information you need in the format you need and in the amount that you need so it helps you run your business better? And my hope is always that they're going to respond, oh, Dan, you are the greatest bookkeeper in the world. It's excellent. Everything is fine. You couldn't possibly do any better. Nobody said that yet, but one can hope. <laughs> but when I open up that door and ask them to respond, sometimes they'll say, hey, yeah, Dan, it's going good. It's, it's fine, no worries. But once in a while, somebody will say, well, Dan, now that you mention it, we do have some issues. And part of me, I hate that, because I want to be the expert. I want to be the one filled with knowledge. I'm the bookkeeper, not you. Don't tell me how to do my job. But that's not how it works. And it's not always easy to receive that unsolicited advice because, you know, we live in Wyoming. This is the independent state. We don't want anybody to butt into our lives and tell us what to do. We live in a culture that's all about do what you want. We're individuals. Don't tell me. Don't guide me. I can do whatever it is. But, but part of the point here is when, when these people speak into our lives unsolicited, theoretically, they're people that we know and we've built a relationship with. And there's trust there. And ideally, that's what happens in our life groups. Trust builds. Shared life increases. And we have more and more in common. And so when they speak into our lives, we're more willing to listen to them. And, yeah, I mean, I think about, you know, for me, the most obvious person that speaks into my life is my wife. We've been married 30, we had to think about it this morning, 36 and a half years. And, you know, I'm ready to sign up for another year on, on the, the uh, whatever, the contract. Um, I hope she is, we'll see. Um, but, but I know that she loves me because I've seen it. We knew each other 10 years before we got married. And we were friends during that time. She knows me like nobody else does. She knows I am not perfect. And sometimes when she speaks into my life unsolicited, I am not happy, you know? And, and you've experienced this, right? But even when it's painful and it hurts and it, and it stretches me, I, I can deal with it because I know, because she's demonstrated it, I know that she loves me. And hopefully that's what happens in life groups, it's not everybody who speaks into your life, but those people you know and you trust. And in those relationships, there's kind of a tacit invitation and for you to be able to speak into their lives. Because none of us, <laughs> as much as we wish, none of us have everything in a nice pile. I got stuff scattered all over the place some days. And I need that instruction. Life in general, spiritual in particular. So what are you doing to create an atmosphere in your life where somebody who is competent can instruct you, who can come alongside and share life and encourage you? What are you doing to be the kind of person 
that others might come to and say, hey, I know I can come to you because you're not going to beat me down. You're going to build me up. Even if I'm doing the worst thing in the world, you're going to do your best to lift me up. Competent to instruct one another. When's the last time you went to another Jesus follower you know and hopefully trust and said, hey, um, you know me. You see how I live. How am I doing? Is there some place I need to pay attention to? Add on, take off, whatever it is. When's the last time you asked your kids, how can I be a better parent? Because I know I'm, I'm, my girls will tell you, I, I, they had a good mom and dad, but they'll tell you too, my mom and dad are not perfect. <laughs> and so when's the last time you asked your kids, how can I be a better parent? Or when's the last time you asked your parents how you could be a better child? You know? Or gone to your boss and said, how can I be a better worker? Or gone to your workers and said, how can I be a better boss? What are you doing to create those relationships so that these people can come to you and instruct you, not in a yeah, yeah, yeah kind of a way, but in a way that builds up and encourages. So I want to challenge you in all of this to be gooder than you've been. Fill it up just a little bit more. You don't have to fill it to the top in one day, but what are we doing to fill it? And what are we doing... To, to get filled with knowledge? Do we have a plan of any kind, somewhere, somehow, to increase in our knowledge so that then we can take that knowledge, not just to amass it, like I said, and win the contest, but to take that knowledge and instruct one another to be instructed, to build those relationships so that we all become better followers, legitimate, convincing authentic followers of Jesus Christ. When people look into our lives, even at our lowest and worst, they go, yeah, I get it. But there's something about you and me that convinces them of who Jesus is. And that'll change their life too. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, um, for the example he is. We thank you for Paul pointing some things out to us about how we can be better followers, about how we can be filled with goodness, and that we can be filled with knowledge and, and instruct one another in, in good and uplifting and positive ways so that when people look at our lives, that they see you in the midst of whatever's going on with us. So thank you for your guidance and your patience and your, and your plans of laying out some good works for us, for providing all the knowledge we need and providing people around us that we can build up and that they can build us up. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.